Zachary Bartles, pastor of Judson Baptist Church, and you're listening to Mimi Reads the Bible. Welcome back to Mimi Reads the Bible, and we are now moving into a different book of the Bible. It's exciting. It is. After a whopping two weeks in, in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, if only my preaching went this quickly. <laughs> How long do you think is too long to be in a series, uh, preaching through a book? Well, I don't know. I It never bothers me when series takes a, a long time. Cause I don't know. You're so upset you're knocking the Bible down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it doesn't bother you if somebody's preaching through Luke and they go a year and a half? No, it doesn't. Now, you've been a churchgoer how many years? Oh, all my life. What is the longest series you have encountered? Oh, I think one went at least two years, if not longer. Who was it who went like 25 years through Romans? It was somebody famous. It was like, I don't know, it wasn't John mm-hmm. MacArthur, but it was somebody of that ilk. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Uh, D.A. Carson, maybe? I don't know. Somebody, they, they just like one verse at a time and just mm-hmm. took everything. And and they got done. I think I think the story is the next week came in and flipped the page and said, okay, 1 Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> I, I preached through Judges, like I mentioned, and stopped mm-hmm. in the middle for Ruth because mm-hmm. the women were getting battle fatigue. Okay. How do you feel about reading all of the really violent stuff that comes in these pages here before Ruth? Well... It's always been my thought that um, God, as much as he's a God of love, he's a God of justice. And he's a God who has set down very clearly um, the standards by which the people were to be judged. And it had, I, I know at Bible study, some of the women have said, oh, that really bothered me. And I was just like shocked. It bothered you? Why Why did it bother you? They went against God and they were punished for it. And it's so I've never had a problem with God judging sin because that's what he's told us he's going to do. Right. Yeah. And of course, that's what we see on the cross is mm-hmm. is our sin being judged in Christ and, and the, the wrath for our sin being poured out on Christ because... God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so certainly we wouldn't expect that he would be easier on us than on his son. Really? <laughs> but but when you read, I mean, maybe some of the women in your Bible mm-hmm. study are thinking, okay, I get that they're punished, but do I need the, you know, for example, one of my favorite stories, I, I like I like the adventure <laughs> action stuff in the Old Testament. I really do. For example, like when there's the, the time they're all, like I think it's the pool of Gibeon and and they're wrestling for fun and there's like Saul's men and David's men mm-hmm. and, and people start stabbing each other in the head and then they start chasing each other and there's the really kind of uh, over-the-top description of the dude's, like the butt of his spear going through him and his intestines coming out. Um... A lot of people read that stuff and it turns them off to reading the Bible entirely. I I guess I over I overlook I scan over things like that because I just never found anything that made me want to shy away from it. Maybe I have a gruesome side to me. But certainly, I mean, you're you're being drawn to uh, the prayer of Hannah, mm-hmm. the 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 story of Ruth. These are very uh, soft and sentimental stories. 
rather than some of these more uh, violent and uh, intense stories. And I wonder, do you think that makes you more spiritual? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> a good friend of mine, Cliff Graham, writes New York Times bestselling novels based on those super violent uh, stories. And you start reading some of those from the point of view of a soldier and go, huh, I can see how soldiers writing this stuff down would think some of these things important. Um, but I don't know how, when you say you want to read Ruth, I wind up on here talking about um, intestines. I don't know. Mm. I, that, that caught me by surprise. <laughs> Or what about <laughs> what about the beginning of Acts when Judas has hung himself and he falls and he sort of explodes and it says that I'm just kidding I, I don't let's let's stop let's let's just nip it in the bud. Why why is it that you're going to read Ruth? Well, it's another uh, beautiful picture of uh, redemption, and I love how the. Old Testament points to our hope in Christ and how at this time of year, this pointing to Christ is is so important to remember. And last night you talked about how it's pivotal in the in in um, time where we're pivoting from one to the other time. And it's because of Christ. And that's that really struck me. Well, and let me tell you this. The reason I brought up all these really violent things yes. was because Ruth is taking place during that time of just absolute chaos, stark, horrible stuff. I mean, there are stories in the book of Judges that make you go, wow, people are the worst. And when they do what's right in their own hearts and in their own minds... There's no depth to which people won't sink. And then to say, well, let's kind of pan over and see if it, is God really at work during this time uh, for his redemptive purpose? Or is it just this rebel, cry out to God, get delivered, rebel, rinse and repeat kind of thing over and over again? And we see here that that God is laying the groundwork for Jesus despite his people actively uh, resisting him. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just go ahead and read? Okay. You're going to read chapter one in its entirety. Mm-hmm. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, 
Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? <laughs> would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Wouldn't you like to know what happens next? Oh, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> really had me at a cliffhanger there with that barley harvest. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, even though this is early, this is the last you see of Melon's wife. Mm-hmm. And did you know that, that tradition says she went back into Moab and and started a daytime talk show that became a very successful kind of business empire. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was called Orpa. <laughs> I actually heard. You know, I appreciate your pity, pity laugh, your your courtesy chuckle. I actually heard, though, no joke, that Oprah's mother intended to name her after Orpa and just uh, I don't know, maybe they gave her drugs or something. She was a little groggy and she. Or she just had it wrong. Well, my friend's mother intended to name her one thing, but the father filled out the birth certificate and he spelled it wrong. <laughs> so it could have been the husband giving and he just transposed the letters. Yeah, he was like, I got I got games to watch here. Just let me quick <laughs> jot this yeah. down. Oh, come on. Can it wait? <laughs> you know, I think most frequently I reference this because of the importance of the names. Because mm-hmm. it shows the significance of names in... The Old Testament. Let me put you on the spot and quiz okay. you. What do the names involved here mean, if, if trans, translated from the Hebrew? Okay. Um, Naomi 
was like a nice, pleasant. Pleasant, exactly, yeah. And, um, but she wanted to be called instead Mara, Mm -hmm. which is bitter. Bitter, yeah, because everything felt bitter and nothing felt Mm -hmm. pleasant, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can see how, and from her point of view, people constantly reminding her that she used to at one point have a pleasant life might be a little annoying. Mm Mm-hmm. Ruth, I don't know what Ruth means. Really? I know I know it somewhere in my brain. You know Because I have a friend named Ruth, and I always knew what her name meant. What about Elimelech? Elimelech. Elimelech. Mm. That's a patriarch. The yeah. patrifamilias here. El- Eli, mm-hmm. from the word El, meaning God, and, and then the, the E at the end is a, a little suffix that, that's possessive. So, my God... Is Melek a king? Great name, huh? Uh-huh. Why is no one named Elimelech? Because all he does is show up in the Bible and die. <laughs> it isn't really one of those strong things that, yeah, I want to be just like Elimelech. <laughs> and then and then have my, my wife, like, struggling and the whole stories about how, yeah, uh, apparently he didn't have any life insurance. Uh, what, what about his, their sons, uh, Melon and Kilian? Or Mechlon and Kilion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, easy for you. I don't know what those names mean. They mean, they mean sickly and pining. Oh, that's right. I did know that. You know what's interesting to me, though? Hmm. They were married for 10 years before the husbands died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that culture, you have children. Right. And I have to wonder both for Orpha and um, for... Uh, Ruth was that a source of sadness for them, and and um, and yet Orpha went back to her family. Presumably, she would be married. And Ruth, did she have any hope in her heart that that God would provide a husband for her and she could have a child? I just think yeah. that's interesting. After reading about Hannah, how they were married certainly long enough that they could have, should have had a child by that point. It is strange that it doesn't make more of it, right? I mean, because the whole book, spoiler alert, is kind of a backstory of of King David Mm -hmm. um, and how we got from judges, chaos, to King David, united monarchy, and Mm -hmm. God showing his his might and glory through this this kingdom. And, And that's true of the birth, and yet they don't emphasize at the beginning you know, God closed their wombs or anything. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. And yet, and yet, was it important that Ruth would not have a child until she had one with Boaz? Could that have at it's all? Must be right. Uh, I I have to think so. It's possible. I don't know. I mean, you who names their kids sickly and pining? It's possible these guys were just not well enough. To be fathers, or I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, There's so many different ways you could you could suss that Naomi out. Naomi wasn't that pleasant in naming the children, although I guess in those days it was the husband. It's probably his fault. What if you found out that their names had been like M- Milligan and you know uh, Kyle, and and that the person who put this story down had changed them a bit? To make the name match the identity, would that would that mess with your understanding of of inspiration? Well, no, because if it's the person who put it down, who you mean, not the original writers, 
No, the writer of the book, who, whoever it was who wrote Ruth down so that mm-hmm. later generations would know this, said, oh, here's something clever or maybe a kind of standard process uh, to just slightly alter the names so that the character of the person mm-hmm. or the role they play in the story. I guess I would feel like they were still um, inspired by God. I, do, I don't think that they could do something contrary to what God wanted written down. Mm-hmm. So I just, that would not change my feeling. Um, I just believe that every jot and tittle is what God wanted. And so even that was allowable. And it, yeah. and if it was something culturally done, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think that people, if they lose, if someone loses a child, they may always be talked about as, oh, that's sickly child of mm-hmm. the so-and-sos. And right. Maybe that it almost became their name after... Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe that's what their uh, school uh, peers <laughs> called them uh, by way of... Who, who knows? But but I know that it seems later on when David is king and then you he's king of one half of the mm-hmm. kingdom and then you have this guy Ishbosheth. Um, it, it seems that his name... In extra biblical sources, it's written down as Ishbaal, which means Baal's man. Baal being, you know, mm-hmm. a, a god yes. of uh, the heathen. And instead, they write down in the scriptures Ishbosheth, which means man of shame. And so they've changed it so that they won't be writing down the name of Baal over and over again. And everyone knew it, and nobody felt lied to. And so when we find these kinds of things, and someone says, Oh, it's too, it doesn't make sense, it's too good to be true. Yeah, I, I like your attitude. The Holy Spirit set what names we were going to read so that we would get out of this story what we're supposed to. And it's a historical story. Mm-hmm. What, what else jumps out at you in Ruth chapter 1, right off the bat? Um, well, I love that um, there's no hesitancy with Ruth. It's not that she started to turn back and then said to her, she clung to her. And she was clinging to more than just Naomi, the person. I believe she was clinging to her God. Mm. And I think that Orpha loved her, loved her husband, but that life was done for her. And she could leave her, but Ruth couldn't. Because more than just her husband, Ruth loved the God that she learned from these people. Yeah, and, yeah. And that I really, I really liked about Ruth was that devotion and that it was more than just to a person because I think then you would have said, okay, you know, it makes more sense for me to go back home. She wasn't bound. No. But Paul's going to say later, as long it, uh, uh, covenant uh, testimony is only enforced as long as both people are alive. And yet there is some aspect that's, that's uh, loyalty to this woman. Um, Ruth's name means friend. Yes. And what a good friend she is. <laughs> I mean, how could anyone, I don't blame Orpa, but how could you, as Ruth, once the other, your sister-in-law's walked away, Say, okay, well, good luck making this insanely treacherous trip all alone. Uh, as a vulnerable woman, I mean, mm-hmm. two is safer. Ruth is is undoubtedly um, going to be stronger. You know, she's, she's mm-hmm. younger. She's more vital. 
and to say, I got to go with you, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't just watch you walk away, even though I'm not obligated. And you, you mentioned, yeah, your God will be my God. That's already kind of happened, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they came into Moab, there's a sense in which she hasn't left her people yet. Still, by joining herself to an Israelite, when you read the rules for them marrying mm-hmm. foreigners, she would have to have become a follower mm-hmm. of, of this God. What about the name of the city? Do you remember what that means? The, the city they come from, that they leave at the beginning, they return to. To Bethlehem? Yeah, what's that the name mean? City of David. It's the city of David, but the word itself means Beth. You remember the word Beth, right? House. Lechem is bread or food. So house of bread. And we have a little play on words, a little irony at the beginning, that there's a, a famine <laughs> in the house of bread, which, you know, obviously it sounds like it's named after, mm-hmm. yeah, come here. It's, it's There's always plenty to eat. And so they have to leave. And then when they come back, I wonder what Bethlehem was even known for at this time. Yeah. Because it's David. You're right. It becomes synonymous with David. And then it becomes synonymous with the birthplace of Christ as the city of David. But before that, it must have just been known for the bread, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the lack thereof. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the city of bread that had a famine. Seems like the famine must pass pretty quick. I wonder if that famine was the result of one of these things we read about in Judges. Oh, the I people going that. after false gods and mm-hmm. God giving them over to what they wanted. And it's uh, to me, it's such an exciting story. I mean, the pictures just like pop out of your your mind of what is going on and God's provision. And because when Ruth is coming with Naomi, she's coming to nothing. It's not just that, oh, there, there's no famine, but there's also no income. Right. We find out that they kind of uh, mortgaged everything and ran through all their options before leaving. Yes. And so, I mean, it's not like she's going to to return to Naomi's rich you know, house and servants and and luxury. But she's going to, as we find out, have to work to support herself and Naomi. Two widows, which in that culture would have basically been like two helpless, hopeless people. Um, and what's interesting is she seems to have just given up, you know, I'm going with you instead of staying here and getting a husband. Ruth, we find out, is gorgeous because even though I don't think Boaz is superficial, you can't tell if a woman is intelligent or funny or whatever Mm -hmm. from the distance at which he's like, you know, dream weaver, slow-mo. That's a Wayne's World reference. Never mind. Uh, Generational gap. So she could have stayed, right? Mm -hmm. And gotten married again. Yeah. Had sons. Mm -hmm. She gives that up and then... God starts working out this plan to give it to her. Interesting. That happens frequently in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And it's another um, another example of how we need to trust in God's timing mm. and in God's provision. Because if she said, oh, don't worry, Naomi, I will come with you. I'll find a husband, you know, and I'll take care of you. 
No, she is willing to work as a lowly, lowly list of, of, of people and does not expect to um, get anybody's attention or kindness, for that matter. And yet God, in his timing and in his, in his way, uh, sets it all out. And I just, I can't wait till next week. <laughs> now, it's a lot of setup. Is there anything in this that's a takeaway for you in chapter one? Uh, anything that at some point in your life when you struggled, you've thought back to these words or this setting and it's comforted you or helped guide you? Well, <laughs> um, you know, as, um, as someone, I lost my mom when I was 14. And I went through some rough high school years of, of rebellion because I was mad at God. And any time I would hear Ruth preached on or spoken of, it was when Ruth talked to Naomi, it would remind me of the heritage that my parents had set in our home and how I had a choice to walk away from that or to come back to where I knew was not only my people, but my God. Mm -hmm. and, and it would strike me that, yes, that was, she, you know, was going back to, but when you're rebellious, you're chasing idols and and that did not give me any sense of fulfillment or alleviation of grief. In fact, it made it harder. And God just, he, I came to the end of myself where I, my mother had always told me about when I accepted the Lord. Four or five, and she had led me to the Lord. When she died, my assurance of salvation wavered so because I couldn't remember it anymore. Right. And I was mad at God. And so I was very, and while I was so rebellious, I would wake up at night afraid that I was going to die and I wasn't a, really a Christian. Mm. So I went to Bible college and they had, which I thought was ridiculous when the freshmen all came they had like an evangelist come to speak to the students mm -hmm. and the first thing he talked about was making sure of your salvation and oh it just hit me and the dean of women i met with her and she said you know mimi there is nothing in the Bible that says that you can't pray and say, Lord, I want to make certain my salvation. And you can mark it down as this day. And you can always hold on to that. Now, if you really did make that decision when you were younger and truly meant it, God's not going to say, well, <laughs> we're not going to keep her in line because she's can't even know when she's accepted me. And... um. And I did that. And uh, 
I have never had any doubts of my salvation since that time. Hmm. And so I felt it was the right decision, and I felt that it was um, blessed by God after that. When you were talking about this uh, scripture connecting to your life, you used several phrases that remind me of the story of the lost son or the mm-hmm. prodigal son. Mm-hmm. Um, people misunderstand what prodigal means all the time mm-hmm. because we <laughs> it means lavish, giving mm-hmm. a lot. But he was lavish to his friends. Mm-hmm. So you have he left out of rebellion. Ruth mm-hmm. didn't. Ruth was, mm-hmm. but but both were in foreign lands mm-hmm. among unclean people, and both come back. And you said the words. Uh, came to the end of myself, mm-hmm. um, which very much makes me think of the, <laughs> the prodigal son. And both of them came back with the expectation of, fine, I'll go back where God would have me be and I'll be a lowly servant. Mm-hmm. I'll be a servant in my father's household. I'll be a servant in my mother-in-law, you know, mm-hmm. on her behalf. And in both cases, God lavishes mm-hmm. uh, grace upon them. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, the, there can't be an expectation that if you do the right thing, God will give you a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. You know, you'll you'll have a strong, handsome husband like Boaz, and the fatted calf will be brought out to you. Mm-hmm. And yet we we know that if we're faithful, God will be with us. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ruth had to hang on. It sounds like that's what you had to hang on to as well. Yes. And and it wasn't that then I never sinned again. But you sinned since then. Yeah, boy. Oh my gosh. What and, do you mean? Uh, and, but each time I've felt that pull back to the Lord. And, um, before, uh, my divorce, the pastor of our church in Grand Rapids was doing a series on being an authentic follower of Christ and how, you know, so many people compartmentalize the Lord and that, you know, it really had to be in every area of your life. And I was one of those people who always thought, I can listen to any kind of music. It doesn't affect me. Or I can watch any kind of show or movie. It doesn't, it just doesn't bother me. And yet, how many times the words to songs that I wasn't trying to learn would come back to my mind. And I realized that really what I was feeding myself wasn't what the Lord would have. And before um, I the en- end of my marriage, the Lord had so um, infused my life in a in in a better way to say you know i am going to watch what i watch or or what i listen to or what i read because it does affect me whether i want it to or not were you listening to like black sabbath yeah <laughs> all yes. the time oh my favorite <laughs> it 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 made it and then i had that already, that support of the Lord, that when my world, in in essence, was crashing down, I still had that comfort that God knew that God was going to take care of me, and that it was it was going to be all right. Not that it wasn't hard or sad, but 
just not hopeless at all. I was I, I don't think I was bitter. Hmm. I think that I still trust it. What about the fact that Naomi is bitter? I mean, has she turned her back on God or well, do that, we do we just say we understand that because of what she's endured and it's okay? Well, I someone told me once, you know, it's okay to be mad at God sometimes. It's okay to I mean, she had lost everything. Everything. And so do I understand that that feeling that you know and what do I have left she says I'm too old to get another husband so you don't have that hope and so I get I think that it was more or less the humanness coming out in her but she hadn't I don't think she turned back her back on the Lord or I don't think she would have come back to Moab I mean, left Moab and gone back to Bethlehem. Well, there was nothing for her in in Moab. Sometimes I read this and think she's coming back to Bethlehem to die, and that's why she wants no one to come with her. Oh, she wants to come back and give up and be and be buried there. We we can't know. Whatever the case, she might have given up on God or not. But certainly, we see God hasn't given up on her, and we will see how in chapter two next week. Don't read ahead, everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. You should read you should read all of Ruth. You can't see that, but I'm watching you. <laughs> oh, and I have to say a shout out to Sarah, my sister, because I said a shout out to Priscilla the other time. Okay. Are any of these people real? I have sisters. <laughs> I even have a brother. <laughs> all right. I know people. Mike Whitmer. I knew him before you knew him. You knew Mike Whitmer before it was cool to know Mike Whitmer. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can find us online at www.churchlansing.com. Scripture this week taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version. Copyright 1973, 1978, 1984. International Bible Society, used by permission of Zondervan Bible Publishers. And don't forget, God's Word is there to be read all the time. You don't have to wait for Mimi. Mimi.